Thank you, Elaine and choir. Such a great reminder as we begin our time of worship today. We want to welcome you to the service and uh, so glad that you could be here in this place today. We are blessed. We just take these times for granted, but we just praise the Lord that we can be here and worship and that you could join us. If you're visiting, we are so glad to have you and we encourage you before you rush out to, we'd like to meet you. If you have time, we'll be available here at the front, but if not, please pick up a guest bag in the lobby. There's a TV in there that has a loop going on. You can scan the QR code and uh, fill out a simple visitor's card, but we would love to have a record of your visit if you're here and help you in any way we can. But so good to have you. Um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, as I said earlier, Awana kicks off again tonight at 5 o'clock. We'll be back on a regular schedule, which means our students will begin their Bible study back tonight, as, our, as well as our adults at 5 o'clock. So we hope to see you here tonight. And then also your contribution statements, if you gave last year through an envelope or maybe through check through the basket, um, those contribution statements will be available in the lobby this week and next week. If you would like to stop by there, we just wanted to make it quickly available. Uh, sometimes it doesn't get to you as quickly as you might like it through the mail. So if you'd like to pick those up, they're available before Sunday school and after the morning worship service. Uh, Tracy Russell will be available at the, at the table in the lobby. You can just grab that and whatever is not picked up this week or next week or maybe through the week at the office, we will put those in the mail. So if you need those right away, they are available. And just, uh, just want to say, um, concerning our giving here, it never ceases to amaze me, and we are humbled as we see your faithfulness week in and week out. And I don't necessarily know who gives what, but all I know is God's people here are faithful. It's evident in the way you trust him and in your faithfulness in giving, and we just praise God for that, and I trust that the Lord blesses you as you are faithful to give. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand for just a minute. And if you haven't had a chance to speak to your neighbor, welcome them to the service as we prepare for worship.
thank you. As we come to this time of prayer, we have several uh, prayer requests that need to be mentioned this morning. We need to remember Julie Clark and her family in prayer. Her mom died this past week, and her funeral services will be today at Sulphur Springs. Also, Dustin Beals' father uh, died this morning, so remember Dustin and Natalie, Dustin's brother, Connor and Cameron, the rest of the family uh, in prayer, if you would. Timmy Stackleather just texted me and said that his dad is in emergency service or emergency surgery right now, and his name is Don. And also, we need to continue to remember Brandon Deal's mom, Gina. She's at Catawba Hospital and is kind of touch and go. You can follow her progress on um, Facebook if you'd like. But one of the great privileges that we have in life is to be able to pray for somebody else, especially during their distress, and one day it may be you. So as they lead us in this time of worship, I'd encourage you to meet me here at the altar, and let's lift these uh, families up in prayer this morning. Thank you. Lay down your now, would you right now uh, quietly lift up the family of Julie Clark? Would you lift up the family of Dustin Beale? We're reminded only the Lord can heal the hurt that comes with death. If you would now lift up Timmy Stackleather's dad in prayer, pray for the surgeon and the doctors and nurses that will be helping him. If you would now lift up Gina Deal and her family. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We're so thankful that we have this ministry of intercession in which we can pray, Lord, for those who may not even be in a position to pray. And Lord, we just pray that you would touch those who have lost loved ones. We're so thankful for the hope that we have. Father, we pray for those that need your touch physically. Lord, there are people in our congregation here that do as well. Lord, every name in our bulletin is very important. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet their needs as well. Lord, I'm thankful that I belong to a church where brothers and sisters in Christ can pray for each other, love each other. Lord, your your word says to mourn with those who mourn, laugh with those who laugh, weep with those who weep. And Lord, that's what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you'd intervene in just supernatural ways, Father. We've seen you do it so many times here in this church, especially this past year, that we trust you with it. Lord, we lay these things at this altar, and Lord, we just trust you with it and pray that you would touch touch hearts, Father. Lord, we pray for those who have been in the hospital this past week. I pray for Lord Martha Biddy. Pray that you would touch her and her family. Thank you for uh, how you've helped her to get out of the hospital. Lord, there are so many others, and Lord, we just thank you that we don't go through these times alone. And Father, we just give you the honor and the glory for all that you do, for all that you have done, and Lord, for all that you're going to do. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and stand with me, if you will. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. This will be the second part of this message. I got through point number one yesterday, and we'll, uh, or not yesterday, last week. But what we'll do is look at that just briefly, and then we'll look at these next three parts of this section of Scripture. And Peter is talking about suffering for God's glory. And in verse 12, he says this, Beloved, do not think it strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent, now notice how he says this, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. And all of God's people said, Amen. Mind your business. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Wow, what strong words from a man that denied Christ three times. Isn't it amazing how God can change your life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as I read this, I'm reminded that, uh, Lord, in Peter's day, they were suffering for the cause of Christ. And, Lord, also today, we can also be reminded that when trials come our way and we're just suffering in general, Lord, all these things apply to us as well, just in, just in a different format. And, Father, I pray for anyone that's going through any type of suffering today, that, Lord, you'd encourage them. Lord, you, you are close to the brokenhearted, your word says. And, Lord, your spirit rests on those who are going through trials. Lord, what an awesome thing to think about, that we don't go through these things alone, that, Lord, you're with us. And, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. And, Father, I'm reminded that if anyone here today has never placed their faith and trust in you, and they're a non-Christian, none of these things apply to them. None of these things apply. And, Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Whether they're here in person, watching online today or even this week, Father, I pray that you would be glorified through their salvation. Also, Lord, be glorified through our suffering. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. For you alone belongs the glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Last week we looked at this. Trials are coming and God loves you. Notice the verse. Peter says, beloved. And Peter's showing a pastoral heart here. And what he's saying is this. When you go through trials... 
You have to understand that God deeply loves you. That does not change. David said, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's never-ending steadfast love for those who fear us. One of the most important aspects of your life is that God loves you. And then he also says this, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a triune. He says, you, you might as well in this world expect suffering and expect trials, whether, whether it's because, for the cause of Christ or just because God is wanting to, look at the word, try you. That means to be tested. James talks about that as well. And this is what one scholar says, trials are necessary to grow us. Trials are purposed. There is intelligence behind them, not just accidents. They have a purpose. Any trial you go through, understand that God is in charge. Accidents are not God. Luck is not God. Coincidence is not God. God is God. Now God allows you to go through it. God is sovereign over your trial. There's a wisdom behind it. Okay? I don't understand that. You may not understand it in this life, but one day, hopefully, you will. God works all things out, Paul says, according to the counsel of his will. Many people we looked at last week are converted because of a trial. C.S. Lewis said this. Now listen. Trials teach us to grow up and leave our playthings. Trials can turn a 40-year-old boy into a man and make him get serious about God. Isn't that amazing? How trials can do that. Trials are a proof of our faith. The seed on the rocky soil, Jesus said, represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And what Peter is saying here as he writes to these people is this. When you go through suffering for the cause of Christ and you go through that, that's proof that you have a relationship with him. God can turn your ministry, turn your trial into a ministry. And he oftentimes does because trials can give us a sensitivity to other people who are going through the th same things that we've been through. The second thing is this, trials are coming, uh, Peter says, rejoice in them. Notice the verse, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. I'm reminded of what Paul told the church at Corinth in his second letter. He said, I'm exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. That don't make sense, does it? He says, I am exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. And what Paul tells us is this, that trials are temporary compared to eternity. Notice what he says. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God, because he was chased by people. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Now notice, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of the sufferings of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Same thing Peter's saying. He says, when we get knocked down, we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. We live under constant danger of death. Now stop right there. Paul is just not mincing words. He's not exaggerating. He's not getting up there trying to tell a, a poor, poor me story. Paul says this. We, this is in the Bible. Yes, we live under constant danger of death. Now imagine that. Imagine up waking every morning with that. Okay? Because we serve Jesus. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of the sufferings of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And what Paul is saying is this. I risk my life to share the gospel with you. And many of you have accepted Jesus, so it's worth it. He says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke, end quote. We know that God who has raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us to himself with you. All of this is for your benefit. As God's grace, grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. Look at the sufferings of Paul. No man suffered more than Paul other than probably Job. And Paul says this, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Do you feel like, do you feel like your trials are, are never ending? Paul says this, compared to eternity, now I'm not making light of anything, all right? I say as humbly as I can, but Paul says this, and he had 20 to 30 years of this. He said it's really small. That's an amazing statement that Paul makes. He says, yet they produce 
for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. And what Paul is saying here is that if you're faithful under trials, that God is going to bless you so much that it will be eternal. There are certain things God does for those who go through suffering that he doesn't do for people that don't. He says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And what Paul is saying here is the same thing he told the church at Colossae. Set your mind on things above. If you focus on the world, if you focus on Monday all the time, you will never, ever, ever get past it. Paul says, I have an eternal perspective, and that's how I can get over it. When Peter preached to the Sanhedrin at the temple area, the Bible says that they brought him in, beat him, and told him not to preach anymore. And Peter quotes when they left, then rejoicing, they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Trials are coming, rejoicing them. Notice what the Lord's brother says in James chapter 1. He says, my brethren, look at the word count. That's the context of trials. He says, my brethren, count, your, your version may say consider. James is not saying trials are joyful by themselves, but he says you must count or consider. Look at that word count or consider. This is the picture of one leading his mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. James says, when you fall into trials, I want you as a Christian to use your brain and think. All right? He says, I want you to consider or count it. So you're to sit here when you're going through a trial that's brought on by, that God allows or God brings it into your life, not what you called. He says, I want you to count it or consider it. This involves careful thought, not a quick decision. It involves a conscious judgment resting on, deliberate, on a deliberate weighing of the facts. It denotes that a deliberate and careful judgment stemming from external proof, not subjective judgment based on feelings. And what this means is you understand the big picture. This is a command calling for action and can even convey a sense of urgency. It's also a command because it's not our natural response to trials. And he says, when trials come your way, the first thing you should do, my brethren, is to say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, give me wisdom for this. God, how can I glorify you in this? And God, what's the end goal of this? Count it, consider it joy, he says. Count it, consider it joy. Warren Wiersbe said this, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, when trials will up, then trials will upset us. If we value the material more than physical, or more, if we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we'll not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. The battle fills the mind when the sun is shining and when it's raining. Count it, consider it, he says. Be, be educated, be intelligent. Understand that God is working, God is sovereign, God is here, God sees you, God has a plan. Romans 8, Paul says this, God has predestined that he would conform you into the image of Christ. Now, he can use the church, he can use uh, Christian outreach ministries, parachurch groups, and he also can use trials, and he does them all. Because his goal for you is for you to look like Jesus when you hit that coffin, amen, I'm telling you, that's what it is. So trials, when they come into your life, you as an individual have to count it, you have to consider it, you have to weigh the facts, don't be subjective and let your feelings take over, say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this trial? And understand your theology will help you here. If God is sovereign, then he's in control, right? Trust him. The Bible says that Jesus would entrust himself to the Father, and no man suffered like Jesus. And trust him, count it all joy. Look at the word joy. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being that abides in the hearts of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord when you're going through trials. Listen, if you're going through a trial and you're not a Christian, there's not one ounce of joy you can have. Not one. You're going through it by yourself. But when you're a Christian, you can count it all joy. It is the deep down sense of well-being that all is well between me and the Lord. It is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but even occurs when those circumstances are the most painful and severe, as Jesus taught his disciples. This is what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Talking about when he comes back. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow, because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you now too have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, 
and no one takes your joy from you. Look, he says, my brethren, consider it all joy when you fall. <laughs> what a blessing. You ever fail? Isn't it bad when you fall? Notice this, the Greek word means this. This verb can also convince the sense of falling into something suddenly or unexpectedly. Isn't that what most trials do? They jump up and catch us off guard. The Greek word is peripipto, and it's only used three times in the New Testament. It was used in the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan when Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. That word fell, peripipto. And they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. The preposition peri means around. It pictures a certain man in this context as being completely surrounded by the thieves on all sides with no way of escape, thus unavoidably falling victim to their assaults. So trials, sometimes you fall into them. You don't ask for them. They just happen. This is what it is. It's like your own natural disaster. One minute everything is fine. The next great tragedy comes. And it is coming for many of us in this sanctuary this morning we got a lot left in this year, right? Every year that I pastor here, some tragedy happens because we're people and we live in a fallen world. Some of us are going to, this year are going to fall into various trials. Look at that word fall. It's unexpected. It just happens. It could be you go to the doctor and your life changes forever. State trooper shows up at your house and said there was a car accident. Think about that. You go home and somebody says, I'm leaving. Isn't that awful? Or you, your boss calls you in and says, listen, we appreciate the 25 years you've given us, but you're fired. You fall into a trial. Spurgeon says this. He says, there are no crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. Fall into. But Paul say, or James says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. All that word means is mature. And what James is saying is this. Oftentimes in our lives, it takes a trial to grow us up spiritually. Now, I'm amazed, okay, at people that have a college education but don't, don't know the ABCs of the Christian faith. Now, I'm amazed that people have a college degree, can be a supervisor at work, but they couldn't lead somebody to Jesus, and they're my age. I don't understand that. Been in church since they were eight. I'm amazed that people that can stand up and give great lectures in front of people like this, but couldn't find Genesis in the Bible. And been saved for 40 years. Look, James says this, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James says these trials are going to grow you up quick. A lot of people don't reach for the Bible till a trial comes. A lot of people come to church, they're apathetic, they sleep, they come because their wives make them, and they want to go to Mexico via afterwards, right? And then a trial comes, and they start coming down to the altar and start praying. Isn't it amazing how God will use trials and the church to grow you up? I'm telling you here right now, you best, you, best, you best have your theology right because when trials come, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. He says, so rejoice in them. Go, go back to that verse before, Michael. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. This is a phrase from Proverbs 27, 21, which says, a man is tested or judged by his praise, which means you can praise God even when you're suffering. One scholar said this, this, means, this can mean either the praise we receive in Proverbs 27, a man is tested or judged by his praise, which means when you go through a trial, sometimes people say, brother, I appreciate how you went through that, or sister, I appreciate how you went through that. I can see Jesus in your life. He says this can mean either the praise we receive, our reputation, or the praise that we give. We can choose to praise. Both make sense in the context. If we endure trials, we should be praised, and if we praise God during the trial of unjust suffering, then we have surely passed the test of character. Peter goes on to say this, he says, rejoice with exceedingly jo exceeding joy. Rezo rejoice with exaltation. The word means jubilation. One author writes that we'll be bubbling over with shouts of delight, and your rejoicing has that implication of uniqueness to the degree and the manner in which you suffer. Now, notice what he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And Stephen Davey, who's a pastor in Raleigh, I love to hear him preach, he said this. He said, let me illustrate this verse this way. 
Many of you know the testimony of Joni Erickson Tata. She was paralyzed. She's been paralyzed for over 40 years. And he says this. When you walk down those golden streets of heaven, you're going to be rejoicing about a lot of things. But she's going to be rejoicing uniquely, in addition to a lot of other things, because of the fact that she's walking down those golden streets. Look, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. He goes on to say this. And our deaf brothers and sisters, who have this service and sermon signed to them, we're all going to rejoice one day and sing with the redeemed host of heaven, but they're going to uniquely rejoice that they actually hear the singing of the host of heaven. Think about that. Think about people with mental disabilities. They can't help it. Doctors can't really help them. You can medicate it, but you really can't do so much. Imagine when they get to heaven and there's no battle in your mind anymore. Won't that be a blessing? You don't feel depressed. You don't feel discouraged. I mean, you can't help it. It's just where you are. You don't have this extreme anxiety. Every day is just a good day. They're going to rejoice to the extent that they suffered here on earth. Imagine people with physical disability. Never run. Can't do this, can't do that. I remember when I was in uh, high school, we went up to the mountains and went to a place where people had mental issues and they also had physical issues. Bed bound their whole lives. Now imagine them when they get to heaven. They're going to rejoice to the extent that they partook of Christ's sufferings here on earth. Man, what a difference heaven's going to make, isn't it? That's why, that's why Peter says, he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when the, his glory is revealed, gracious, I thought he was coming back. When his glory is revealed, in John 17, Jesus said, restore me to the glory that I had with you. And when Jesus ascended and went back to the right hand of the Father, he was glorified. But Jesus is going to descend, and he's going to be glorified as well. That's what Peter means. Notice what Jesus says, talking about the end times. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like tomorrow's Monday. It is going to happen. The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then at last, His glory is going to be revealed. Then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming, will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth because they're lost. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and he will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth. This is why the early Christians had courage in the face of death. Which leads me to the third point is this. Trials are coming. The Spirit of God rests on you when you suffer. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of God rests upon you. What uh, Peter is saying is that when you make a bold statement for Christ, that if you are reproached or reviled, the Bible says, that the Spirit of God will come and help you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This was a reference in Isaiah 11 where the Messiah was promised that God's Spirit would rest on him for the Messianic mission. Now listen to what one scholar says. Imagine Peter is now attributing that promise to the believer who suffers. God promised the Messiah would come and God's Spirit would descend on him. Remember Jesus, when he was baptized, his Holy Spirit came like a dove and sound from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. God says that when you suffer, especially for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God, okay, that God's Spirit uniquely rests upon you. When Paul went to trial... And he said at his first defense, there was no one there. All right? And what, and what the bailiff would do in those days would say, anybody want to speak for the Apostle Paul? And nobody did. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in spirit. The Spirit of God rested upon Paul. I'm reminded of Stephen when he was preaching to the Sanhedrin. Listen to, listen to his sermon. I'm going to read it quickly. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf of the truth. He's a Baptist. You must, forever resist, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. He's talking to Jewish people. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. It says earlier that when they looked at Stephen, it was like he had a face of an angel. Now he says this, you heathen, 
You stubborn people. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised Jews. That's basically what he's saying. He's preaching to them. It says, then what God did was he allowed him to see Jesus. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the, young, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. They threw rocks and killed him. But the spirit of God rested upon him. See, on their part, Jesus is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Jesus stood up when Stephen was dying because the spirit of God was resting. Trials are temporary. Trials are necessary. Trials test our faith. But thank God one day we'll see Jesus and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Aren't you thankful for that? Are you going through a trial? Have you made it through a trial? You should thank God over and over again and help it to use others. And then the final point is this. Trials are coming. Don't blame God for what you cause. Don't blame God for what you cause. But let no one of you suffer as a murderer. If you murder somebody, don't say you're, going, you're being persecuted. Okay? The word murder means you hunt somebody down and intentionally kill that person. Don't, don't, don't let none of you suffer as a thief. If you get caught shoplifting, don't say you're being persecuted by Jesus. As an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters, if, you, if, don't, if, you're, if you're a busybody and people are up, get upset at you, you're not suffering for the cause of Christ. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Look at that, well, let him not be ashamed. That means let him not be dishonored. Don't feel ashamed, Peter writes, of what others think. The phrase can be translated, don't feel dishonored. Glorify God in it. Look, notice this picture on the screen. This is Polycarp. Polycarp was a contemporary of John who wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And Polycarp was with John. And Polycarp heard John. Irenaeus says this about Polycarp. He says, I could tell you the place where the blessed Polycarp sat to preach the word of God. It is yet present to my mind with what gravity he everywhere came in and went out. What was the sanctity of his deportment, the majesty of his countenance, and what were his holy exhortations to the people? I seem to hear him now and relate how he conversed with John and many others who had seen Jesus, the words he had heard from their mouths. So Irenaeus says Polycarp was with John. Polycarp was asked by the, the emperor at that time. He said, reject Jesus and say Caesar is Lord. Back in those days during Polycarp's time, you would have, I think Marcus Aurelius was the, was the Caesar, and you'd burn incense and say Caesar is Lord or Marcus Aurelius is Lord. And they said, Polycarp, you're going to do that. He was a bishop at Smyrna. Polycarp says, I don't think so. They said, we'll kill you. And he said, we'll burn you, we'll burn you to stake. And he says, we'll go get the wood, basically. He's an older man. And this is what he says. This is what Polycarp says to all of them. He says, 86 years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after that a little while is quenched. But you're ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was burned at the stake and pierced with a spear for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor, probably Marcus Aurelius. So when you read all those Marcus Aurelius books and quotes and all those things, understand he killed Christians. He did. If you're an unbeliever, I would say this to you as we close. The ultimate trial awaits you. If you're an unbeliever, the ultimate trial awaits you. Revelation 20 says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face... The earth and heaven fled away. What a face. The earth and heaven said, we're out of here. And I saw the dead, small and great. That means, that means people that everybody knew and people that nobody knew. Standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's a legal document. And the dead were judged according to their works. You don't want to stand before God and give an account of your sins. You want to stand before God and let Jesus give an account of your sins. You're judged according to their works, the Bible says, by the things which are written in the books, which God keeps an account of what we do. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, that compartment, were delivered up, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The ultimate trial awaits, friend.
And the ultimate advocate that we have is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus Christ is going to defend my case. I'm not. If I was judged according to my works now, I wouldn't make it. Neither would you. But God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Jesus. We're justified with faith. That's why we have peace with God. It's a legal term. Books, there's legal books being opened. And your life is there. Grant Jordan, open the books, okay, if he was lost. Thankfully, he's not. And all his life is here. You're going to be judged according to your works. Hell's not the same for everybody. There's degrees of punishment for everybody because of your works. You're going to court one day. This is what this means. The ultimate trial awaits you unless you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. As our musicians come, I would ask you this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And if you do, when did you place your faith in Christ? How old were you? Where were you, if you can remember? October 30th, 1990, about a mile from this church is where I gave my life to Jesus. God changed my life on that day. On that day, I asked Christ and trusted Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I hope you have as well. If you're going through a trial, consider it now. God, what are you teaching me? How can I glorify you through this? Lord, help my faith. Father, give me wisdom. Those are all good things to pray when we suffer and we go through a trial. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for your word. Lord, as we suffer, Lord, help us to trust you in our suffering. Lord, when trials, when we fall into trials, Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help us to understand it's part of the growth process, as hard as it is. And Lord, as a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to comfort those who are going through difficulty. Father, this is invitation, I pray that you be honored and glorified. These, this is your time and these are your people. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that you'd save them for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Just one quick announcement. Um, on Saturday, January 20th at 9 o'clock, there's a free event. It's, a, uh, it's an evangelism conference with Don Sunshine. It's going to be at Bethlehem Baptist Church. If you have not registered, several of you have, you can contact the church. You can go. Is it on our website, Kevin? No, it's not on our website, but you can contact the church. I think you can go on Bethlehem Baptist Church's website. It's from 9 to 2.30. Lunch will be provided. Don's a great speaker. If you don't know how to share your faith, I would encourage you to take it, okay? If you have, don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk with you about that anytime this week. My number's in the bulletin. Uh, God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight at 5 p.m.